This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. And you are listening to Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. Cheryl, this has been a great show. It's been a great show. And I am very excited about our next guest. Uh, We are welcoming Michael Bush, who is the CEO of Great Places to Work. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Thank you. Um, Okay, so I want to work at a great place. I think I do work at a great place. Um, <laughs> he looks over at me. <laughs> at, at my boss. Uh, but, you know, what? let's let's start with your background. Who, like, who are you and what is, what is Great Places to Work as an organization? Okay. Um, I am an engineer and business person. have run a lot of companies, started a lot of companies. And um, over the last uh, 10 years, prior to Great Place to Work, I did turnarounds for private equity firms, companies that were in trouble. That's actually how I got to Great Place to Work. Because okay. they were not um, great places to work, Well, right? they were having a little trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And uh, so I was hired to sell it, and I put the deal together, and one thing led to another and bought it. That's well, how I got there. Well, okay. so, um, so I love business, love small businesses, real large businesses, so it's a perfect match. So how long has it been around? It's been around 30 years. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. had no idea. Yeah, it started with a book. Um, Robert Levering was the founder, wrote a book called The 100 Best Places to Work, and the book turned into a business. So now we're in 57 countries. Okay. And so what's the what's the primary goal of the of the organization? Is it are you certifying them uh, companies as great places to work or what what's sort of the business model there? The primary goal uh, goal we're purpose driven. So we are uh, we believe we can create a better world by helping companies become great places to work. That's what it's all about. So we're very we're employee, employee driven, employee focused and believe if you focus on the employee and create a great environment for them, they're going to do great at work. We have the data to prove it. And they're going to go home in their communities, and they're going to be great there, too. So uh, everybody at Great Place to Work is really driven by that mission. So the employee voice, uh, that's how we score companies. So it doesn't matter what your PR firm says, your marketing firm says, your HR people say. It comes directly from the employee. That's the thing that differentiates Great Place to Work. So we survey employees. We are measuring trust. That's what we believe fuels performance. That's what is at the root of great culture. You can't have engagement without trust. And trust is built on the people that you work for. Do you respect them? Do you think they're fair? Do you think they're credible? Mm-hmm. So we measure that with about 30 questions. And then it's the people that you work with. Do you enjoy the people that you work with? Do you take pride in your work because you care about the people that you work with? Do they take pride in their work because they care about the people uh, that they work with, and so on. So we ask a bunch of questions to get a feeling for uh, the employee experience. And then if seven out of 10 employees say, this is a great place to work, we certify you as a great place to work. Interesting. I'm thinking back to our first our first guest that was talking about um, good companies in some sense, right? And I think this is interesting because that discussion was about correlating data about, say, free parking with retention rates, right? So those were kinds of little perks. Your analysis seems to be much more around the, the the culture and the experience, right? It's sort of, and again, when you say, do you trust the people you work for? Do you like the per- people you work with? Those are very soft points of analysis, right? 
there. And what we know is perks are wonderful. People love them, but it does not define a great place to work. Mm -hmm. You could have great perks, great benefits, great comp, and it not be a great place to work. I have the data to absolutely (laughs) prove it. (laughs) So we know more about poor, not good places to work than we do about great places to work um, based on on the data that we have. So it is about those soft things. It's about the relationships that people have with with one another. Um, the other part, and it's about consistency. It's not about having a great week or a great month. Right, right. Uh, it's about consistency. So we use a Likert scale, but, you know, the top end is always true. Wow. Um, not strongly agree. Exactly. Got it. Okay. So we go there. That So that gets the employee in the mindset of um, consistency. Yeah. So let's take – I want to take a step back to say – have, you were here for the Conscious Capitalism Summit here in Philadelphia, a big that's conference. Right. Um, for those that don't know, that's you know people who think around purpose in their business, in their purchasing power, in their products, et cetera. Have we strayed from thinking about building trust in the workplace? Or you know, we, we might have examples of what's worked really well, but have we gotten away in business from building trust, from building great cultures? Um, or what's your take on sort of this, the macro level of business and culture? My take, uh, maybe because I do it every day, all day, is that uh, trust is becoming more important than ever. Um, I think great place to work, work has um, been amplified and we've uh, looked at the methodology and improved it, which has gotten us in the front of the trust conversation, meaning we're focusing on the link between trust and stock market performance, mm-hmm. uh, trust and earnings, trust and market share growth. So... Um, I'm a business person, so not an HR person in quotes. And uh, new age HR people are realizing they're business people too. So uh, that's made it more relevant. I think that other people have worked about and and are writing about the speed of trust. Uh, Stephen Covey's done some great work there. So it's really at the forefront. When I go sit down with the CEO, they're very happy to talk about trust. Uh, They get how it fuels performance and – uh, doesn't seem to be a, uh, on, you know, on a uh, in the backseat at all. We're speaking with Michael Bush, who is the CEO of Great Places to Work. Is it Great Places or Great Place to Work? Great Place, no S. Okay, Great Place to Work. Sorry about that. No problem. Um, and I guess what I'm, I'm also my, where my mind goes is, okay, so if you assess my company and I score somewhere on yeah. this. Do you also then tell me how I might improve my culture, improve trust among employees, among supervisor, supervisees? Sure. So uh, the process is employees take a survey. And what we're measuring now, we actually made a change in our methodology. I bought the business two years ago. And um, based on that, I realized that um, a great place to work, just looking at the relationships, wasn't really complete enough as a business person. So we now score innovation. Because okay. we know a great place to work needs to be innovative. We now and support, employees are evaluating this. Sure. Yeah. And so we ask them a series of questions about their experience with management. Mm-hmm. Are they listened to? Are they mm-hmm. asked mm-hmm. for their opinions? Um, um, are they? Do they feel like they should? Are they willing to give an extra effort, which is what innovation requires, and so on. So um, we've added that index. We also look at financial sustainability because there have been people on our list that have gone out of business. I don't think that's a great place to work, Um, okay, unless it's financially sustainable. And um, the last thing that we've added is it's now a great place to work for all. So we are now looking at the difference in work experience between different people. We're looking at the difference in work experience between men and women, between millennials, non-millennials, physicians, non-physicians, and so on. Because we looked at the data and found on the average it's a great place to work, 
but when you double clicked on the data, for some, some for some people it wasn't as great. So that's really interesting because that, we, love have, that. we yeah. have also been in our work, um, whether it's here in Philadelphia or working looking at community development venture capital, which is a sort of a subset of venture capital. Think people are thinking about employment, job growth as an economic indicator indicator. But people have said it's one thing to create jobs. It's another thing to create quality jobs. And so I'm sort of curious. I mean, you, you wages can be one way to to talk about that. Um, but this piece probably could be incorporated in some some of our conversations as well. well Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just to sort of say we for our Philly work, we'd use the tagline more jobs, better jobs. Right. Because it's not you don't want to have more jobs that are crappy. Yeah. I mean, it's all about, number one, that livable wage at yeah. a minimum. And it's all about a job ladder. Without a job ladder, there's no hope. So um, mm-hmm. you might be in a job that's a great job today. It won't be tomorrow because everybody needs hope. Everybody needs to feel like if they work hard, there's an opportunity for them to go up. If there's no opportunity for them to go up, they feel really they're not respected. They're not valued because other people seem to have it, but they don't have it. Mm-hmm. So now you have a job, okay, which is the worst thing you want is somebody that has a job because it's a transactional thing. Uh, you want people to have a career, and then you want them to have a calling. You want the purpose to be so powerful, like the gentleman who was on right before this. Yeah. You know, that guy is lit up about, <laughs> you know, uh, sustainable about products. bed sheets. It's all about a calling for sure. You know, that's, you know, he's dreaming about it. He's in the shower about it and so on. So you want everybody to be yeah. like that. You know, that guy's in the shower thinking about bed sheets and sustainability and the cotton farmer. And you want everybody, no matter what they do, in the shower thinking about what they're about to do. And that, that means it's a calling. And so we measure that, too. Oh, wow. Um, we ask the employees about that. Um, because without that, you don't get innovation. Innovation comes from extra. Innovation comes from walking around dreaming. Um, it doesn't come while you're doing. And people that are inspired because the mission is so powerful, the purpose is so powerful, uh, that's how you get the innovation. And then you need managers to actually ask you your opinion about things and actually do something. We have to innovate it. What are are some examples? Can you give us some examples of companies that score high and and what what they're doing well? Um, Well, Google's at the top of our list. And they have been, I think, for seven years running. And uh, it's a remarkable company. Um, people only leave Google. But not because of all the, the perks, right? And the lunches the and the all. skateboards and whatever else you, you think about. I'm right? glad you said that. You know, so, but if you, if you read the press, our, our media partner is Fortune Magazine. That's where we publish the 100 best companies to work for. Well, because it's a media publication, they love writing about the perks. Yeah. Because everybody loves And we, sell, we tell them, don't write about the perks. <laughs> and so they write about the perks, and then in an article we say it's not the perks. <laughs> right. Um, because it isn't. And, um, you know, people that work there can go to another company, snap of a finger and get better perks right down the road. It's absolutely not that. It's um, there's a high level of trust there. Um, People are given a lot of responsibility and a lot of flexibility in the way that they they pursue this thing called work. Um, There's a lot of startups within that culture. It's many companies under the umbrella Mm -hmm, of one mm -hmm. one company there's a spirit there and um people are trusted early there with um really to run their work as well as do things outside of work um they get compensated to do volunteer work they get compensated to uh, work on special projects so um and they reinvent themselves every year in terms of looking at their programs and pop and um, and policies, which we also review. So we take the employee survey. We also get um, something we call it a culture brief or a culture audit, 
where we ask a series of questions to find out what the compensation is, what the benefits are, Mm -hmm. what the perks are, uh, the policies and practices, and then we look at the employee experience and see if the two line up. Sometimes you can get employees saying one thing and the HR department saying something else. Pretty easy to see uh, when the two are disconnected. So Google's at the top. Um, Salesforce um, is high on our list. Um, Wegmans is high on our list. Intuit's on our list. BCG, EY, um, just to give you, oh, REI, um, Whole Foods, and the Container Store, because I just saw them yesterday at (laughs) Conscious Capital. Mentioning your friends. That's right. Well, and it's it's interesting, because, I mean, you kind of led with some of those tech companies, but then you have something like Wegmans, which, you know, is a grocery store, and you think about... Right, and not everyone, not all of our listeners will know Wegmans, because they're regional. Right, they are regional. That's right. But I think that's an interesting inclusion, because when you're thinking about the cashiers and the, the, the shelf stockers and all of that... Your point about let's make it a good, a great company for everybody and not just for the people yeah, doing it's the not, marketing. It's et not just a job. How do you feel inspired when you're stocking shelves? That's right. And at Wegmans, they do it. That is a phenomenal company. They're number two on the list for a reason. You know, yeah. you, you think about um, companies and, and innovative companies. I put that company up against any company in terms of innovation, in terms of cultural work, yeah. top to bottom. It's yeah. a phenomenal company. A lot to learn from from Wegmans. And that's something that I'm, uh, you know, I bet our listeners, you know, if you're saying, you're thinking Google, yeah, 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 yeah of course right, they of can course. do it. Yeah. But then you think of a grocery store chain, that's really interesting. And so um, I do want to remind our listeners, we're talking to Michael Bush, CEO of Great Place to Work. Um, and if you have a question for us around how to make your company great, give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So, you know, I, I think about the, you're talking to the CEO and they, they understand the importance of trust. But trust requires – to really do trust requires um, behavioral change on the part of the CEOs. And there's, so there's – I would imagine there's we, – we've often come out of this image of the, the CEO as the leader, the one who takes control, makes decisions, drives people ahead, et cetera. That I never see. That's, <laughs> a, fan, that's right? a fantasy of every CEO. Right, right. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. But it doesn't work that way. And so – are you seeing more CEOs kind of saying, I don't know if I'm naturally suited for that, but I understand the value and, and help me to become somebody who can trust my employees? Or are they really getting their training early on and they're, it's more natural to them? So th- they're in uh, three camps. Uh-huh. Um, there are CEOs who just get this. Yeah. It's, it's natural for them. And then there's the movable middle, you know, the group that is curious about it which is where I spend my time, right? Uh, talking to them about the benefits of it, um, about what will happen when you unlock this wasted potential, in some cases, uh, you know, within people. And leaders do have to change. Yeah, That's the hard part. So sometimes I'll talk to a CEO, and they will say, I'm really interested in this, but I don't know if I'm going to do it this year. And I go, why not? Right. Why don't you want to know what's going on with your employees right now? Yeah. I know you're busy. I know you're working 20 hours a day, but you need to stop doing something and start doing this. This is actually one of the most important things you can do. And they go, I'll call you next year. <laughs> and, and the reason is that they, when you get the result, you got to do something. Right, right. You got to do something. And so some people are afraid of that. So It's not just an audit being like, oh, great. Thank you. Thank you right? for letting me know. Because now the employees have an expectation. They're like, you took the survey. Yeah. So I kind of expect, as a matter of fact, if you just do the survey and don't do anything, Trust is going to go down. Yeah, yeah. So it's better that you don't do it. So, um, you know, that's the movable middle. And we just work on that and share a lot of data and statistics and have them talk to other CEOs that have gone through it. And they're still alive. <laughs> and, you know, and their companies are thriving, yeah. which is which is the case. And then there's CEOs who don't get it at all because actually they just don't trust people. And um, you find out real soon. They're like, I want to get on your list. Yeah, well, here's what it takes. 
I just want to get on your list. Is there a way for me to get on your list? Um, yeah. yeah. And nope. so I just kind of move on to the next customer. Yeah. It's yeah. not for everybody. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Is a great place to work a thing for big corporates like a Google, or is it also for you know my mom and pop shop down the street? It's um, minimum five employees. Oh, okay. So five that's... employees, and uh, to take our save survey is nine hundred ninety-five dollars. If you have five employees, it's nine hundred ninety-five dollars. Google pays nine hundred ninety-five dollars. It's the same price for everybody. So why didn't you do a sliding scale? Um, because I love small businesses. Uh, My passion is small businesses. Uh-huh. I'm all about. I teach small businesses. I love small businesses. So I can't do anything if I'm not building small businesses. Uh, that's where the job is. That's where our communities uh, get fed. Um, small businesses live in the communities where they do the work. They send their kids to the schools in the communities where their businesses are. There's nothing more important to them yeah, yeah. than them to me. So I had to get that price down. I actually want to get it down lower um, for small, you know, for small businesses so that they can get in the trust game. Yeah. Well, I um, like that what you said too. Um, you know, if, if we're, we think about small businesses and being the drivers of economic growth in this country, and the, but earlier in the segment you said. You know, people that are happy at work and they feel inspired at work, they take that back to their communities, too. Yeah. And, I, you know, that's such a strong link for, yeah. for those types of companies. That's right. You know, that, that's, that's what they're all about. And small companies actually get this pretty naturally. When you say, you know, if you thank people, if you uh, reward people, if you share, you know, um, you know, some of the benefits of this work with people, um, if you listen to people, they get it. Yeah. They get it. They kind of have to because they can't delegate things. Uh, they're in the middle of it. And I always tell them. You know, you need to be thinking about this from your first key hire, not your first hire, because you might just need somebody to do a website or some development, write some code or something. And that's not really your first hire. But a small business person that's getting started or a startup, the first key hire, important hire, almost partner, you need to be thinking about trust because that's what's going to make that partnership work or not. Mm -hmm. Um, When a small business gets started and the partners battle, which often happens, it's not over skill, it's something in the values there's a mismatch something in the culture that happens between the two people that they didn't really vet when they were having drinks late at night scribbling on a napkin um and it comes to the surface so you should talk about respect you should talk about what fairness means to you you should talk about um listening and and how you do it with each other uh especially for the small company the first connection is a yin yang thing meaning one person needs to be strong in a bunch of things and the other person needs to be strong at the other things um, to really make it work, a um, lot of data to support um, uh, to support that. Yeah, and this is great advice for our listeners who are thinking about either starting a business or or how they're thinking about the business that they're running. You know, how do you really sort of open yourself up to to the well, some of the the risk and and the little bit of um, fear around letting somebody else have all this input? Right? You sort of think that you should be the one with all the ideas, and that's just not going to work for building trust or a good company. And that's Michael, right. things are going by so fast. I have a quick question for you. Um, we only have a couple minutes left. Are, are there any generational differences? You know, you said you you do different generations with different part of the survey, but you know, are there differences between baby boomers in the workplace well, and millennials? I, let's talk about the most studied group in the world that I don't think we need to study anymore: millennials. <laughs> okay, because we've just gotten out, completely out of control. I wish you know we just have a moratorium on that. We know all we need to know about this fine group of people, and because um, they're basically like everybody else. So, but here here is a finding. Um, uh, we decided to research it because I have two. I have a 26-year-old, 28-year-old. And my experience with them and what I was reading, the two were not connected. So we took a look at loyalty. 
And um, because there's this feeling, okay, I think Deloitte and Two said 45% of all millennials want to change their job within two years. So we took a look at it. And what we found is when millennials are having a great experience, which for them means a meaningful comp- – if the person they work for treats them as a person, listens to them, and has a conversation with them, if you do that 15 minutes you know, every three months, they have a good experience. If that's not happening, they're going to leave because that's what they're seeking. Mm. Now, if they're getting that, they are 25 times more likely to say, I want to work here for a long time, which is actually twice as high as their parents. Wow. It's twice as high as Gen X, Gen Y. So our feeling is they're actually more loyal. But here's what you need to do to get that loyalty. Right. That's really great insight. So we are in our last minute. Where, where can people find more information about Great Place to Work? You can go to www.greatplacetowork.com. And I uh, got a website, and uh, hope you'll come on in and get in the trust game. Thanks so much. Um, we've been speaking with Michael Bush, CEO of Great Place to Work. Uh, Cheryl, this has been a really great show. I, I, I went into the show being like, I don't know how all this fits together, but it's been really fun and diverse. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we've, you know, and I think a lot of learnings to, to think about uh, for individual business owners and just people who are employees and employers. Well, and I love that we were talking about data too from yeah. at the top of our show and now here and how do you use that? How do you how do you provide the right feedback loops to to drive data-driven decision making? Um, well, I do want to wrap up our show. Thank you so much to all of our our guests and our listeners and our callers. Um, I'm Nick Ashburn with my co-host Cheryl Kuhlman. I'd like to thank sound engineer Danielle Bruno, associate producer Dion Simpkins, producer Matt Johnson, program director Patty Hall. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from business radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.